baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Hello and welcome to St. Paul's Cathedral. My name is Rob Jones and I am one of the wardens at St. Paul's. Unfortunately, our dean, the Reverend Will Mebbin, is out of town at a conference, but he sends his regards and um, I know he would love to be here today and I'm sure he's uh, a little upset for missing it. Um, we are very honored here at St. Paul's to be hosting today's Student Gun Reform Forum. The people of St. Paul's are very much committed to reform and legislation that will prevent gun deaths. We also hosted the uh, March 1st Never Again Candlelight Vigil in honor of the victims of the shootings at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Uh, one piece of housekeeping business that I want to address here, um, I'm also a frequent usher at St. Paul's and one of the questions most frequently asked is, where are the restrooms? So before anybody asks, um, you can get to the restrooms around the first floor. Uh, there's a stairway at the uh, corner here. There's also an elevator out in the narthex that'll, that'll take you down there. Um, so now that we have that completed, we can move on with, with the program a little further. Um, our, next, um, our next speaker is gonna be um, uh, our priest associate here at St. Paul's, the Reverend Judy Brenny, and she's going to offer an opening blessing. Thank you. Judy? Now, my blessing is contained in a teaching found in a scripture story in 2 Chronicles 20. There was a small band of people, a community named Judah, and their leader was Jehoshaphat. The people were surrounded by many more powerful people who had joined together to seek victory over the people of Judah. The people knew that they were vulnerable, small in number and less powerful, against such a powerful multitude. Therefore, by faith, they called out to the Holy One, saying, we do not know what to do, but we look to you. And in that moment, a youth from the Levite family spoke a prophecy. Thus says the Holy One, do not fear nor be dismayed at this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but mine. Go out with courage to stand against them, and I will be with you. So the entire community, including the most vulnerable against among them who led the way, stepped out in faith without weapons, but instead with the strength of their voices and their courage. They all walked together into a valley where they were to meet the more powerful and where the conflict was to take place. And they discovered that the multitudes who desired to, who desired to come against them had disbanded and scattered. The victory was theirs, and there was peace throughout the whole land of Judah. This story is a psychological battle. Despite being vulnerable, being imbued to stand up and speak out, inspired with faith and courage. I believe wherever we stand, we are standing on sacred ground because sacred dwells within each and every one of us. I believe we all have the capacity to give and receive blessing. Therefore, may we listen to the still, small voice within, beckoning to be courageous, to speak truth to power, to walk together in peace and for safety on behalf of justice for the well-being of all people. Remember, love heals, love transforms, love has power. And in the end, love wins. Amen.
I would first like to thank the church for having us for this event. Uh, it was very difficult to find a venue, but they offered it to us completely. So I welcome you to the Students for Action Student Forum. If you look around you, you're going to find people you probably don't typically interact with. If it's people different age, people from a different part of Buffalo, people with different beliefs than you. But we've all come here today to discuss a very important issue, and that would be gun violence. And I'm very happy to see that both Representative Higgins and uh, Town Supervisor, sorry, Town, Super Town Supervisor McMurray for being here. So I would like first for them to have some initial statements, if they don't mind, just about a minute long. All right, thank you. Can you hear me now? There you go. Well, thank you for coming out today. Um, first, I want to recognize these students who put together this event. It is amazing that we have so many people here. And as Andrew said in the beginning, we have people from different backgrounds. I have Mr. Matuzic here, who's talking to me in the beginning. He's here from a, a, from a, a group that is strong supporters of the Second Amendment. We have people from different parts of the community. We have all different types of voices here, and I'm proud to be one of those voices to stand on this stage. I'm also proud of these students, again, because they took a lot of hits to put this together. So often we hear that the younger generation doesn't do enough, or that millennials aren't diligent enough, and here we have young people who have gone out of their way to put together something, and they deserve praise, not criticism. I think this venue needs to be addressed as well. I, I have walked by this building or this church many times, and I um, never was inside before. And it is such a lovely place. And we heard that this event would be a circus. Clearly, it's not a circus. This is a solemn place, a place for Americans to have open discussion, to find solutions, and to challenge the status quo. When I was a kid, when I was young, there was a movie that came out called Red Dawn. Does anyone remember that movie? <coughs> it was a movie starring Patrick Swayze, the dancer. And in that movie, we have a, a situation where Mr. Swayze was a high school football player, and he and his high school football player friends got together with their girlfriends and defeated the Soviet army. It's a strange movie. It's a fantasy, but it was fun. There's a lot of emotion. And that fantasy and the emotion that goes along with it has been used to confuse and mislead so many for such a long time. We have to get beyond the fantasy and get to what we are really facing as a nation. And we're not asking for the elimination of the Second Amendment, at least I'm not. Maybe some of you in the audience are. I'm certainly not. I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe in not just sporting, but also protection of your household. And I believe in de defending that right. But I also believe in reasonable solutions, like universal background checks like an assault weapon ban, like mental health funding that is real and reasonable. And we talk about these solutions over and over again, but we never try them because we're stuck in that confusion and fantasy. We're stuck in the movie land. We know that in 1994, the federal weapons ban prevented gun violence. We know that it worked. We know that people like me, and I, I assume Congressman Higgins as well, and many of these students who I've spoken to, believe in the Second Amendment and believe that it does protect homeowners and it does have a place in our society. But we are in that confusion over and over again, which causes people who are law-abiding citizens who want a guarantee for the Second Amendment to be lumped in with criminals, terrorists, and madmen. The only way to overcome this is to have an open and frank discussion about where we stand as a society. Now, I'll end my comments in one second. One thing I want to say is, there's a reason why certain people are not on the stage today that were invited. 
They're not here because they don't have to be here. They believe there doesn't have to be accountability, that we don't have to have these discussions. And I'll tell you why. It's because they think there's not going to be a vote, there's not going to be a change, and the status quo will remain forever. But the secret is, politicians love more than anything else to be popular. What I want to say, and I'll end my comments with this, we need to remind them that they will not be popular forever unless they address the issues that face America. Thank you. Good afternoon, and I, I too want to thank uh, the students for their enthusiasm, for their courage, uh, for the willingness to step up. Uh, this is, uh, particularly in the last five to ten years, an issue that has disproportionately influenced and hurt young people, and that these young folks from Buffalo and Western New York are taking their rightful place as advocates for social change is uh, not only appropriate, but it's inspiring. Uh, we're here, we're here at, we're here at St. Paul's uh, Cathedral. This was the, the city's uh, first uh, architectural gem uh, designed by Richard Upjohn, who also designed the Trinity Church in uh, New York City. It's a beautiful, beautiful structure, and we are surrounded by its, its awe and its, its peaceful uh, influence on our discussion here today. Uh, as has been said by the students who I met with in my class, or in my office last week, I used to be a teacher. Uh, people do, people do have a right to bear arms, and we respect that right of gun ownership. We are here to affirm, we are here to affirm the integrity of gun ownership by law-abiding citizens of America. The United States Supreme Court, the court that interprets the Constitution and its amendments, has clearly and consistently held that a ban on things like assault weapons are, in fact, constitutional. And we should remember that. Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, December of 2012. 27 people dead. 20 kids between the ages of six and seven who had multiple wounds in them. That incident lasted five minutes from 9.35 a.m. to 9.40 a.m. 155 rounds of ammunition. One shooter with an assault rifle, a weapon of mass destruction, obviously. Orlando, Florida, the Pulse nightclub, 49 dead, 58 wounded in nine minutes, one shooter with an assault weapon. Las Vegas, Nevada, 2017, 58 people dead, 851 injured, in a time frame of 10 minutes, one shooter with several assault rifles. You know, people also, I've heard it said that gun control is a steady hand, and that may be true, but a steady hand requires a sound mind. And the framers of the Constitution and those who established the Second Amendment could never anticipate this kind of hell if they could speak to us today, they would say, do something about this. And the Supreme Court has been very clear, including the most conservative member of the United States Supreme Court, Antonin Scalia, uh, said that uh, the right to bear arms is not unlimited. And when students whose safety is in question when police officers who have been outgunned by some of the people that are the perpetrators of this violence um, exacted on large numbers of people at schools, in churches, we as a just society, a society of law and order, have an obligation to protect our citizens. So my hope today 
with all of you here and with all of these students who are participating, that we can have a constructive dialogue to form a basis from which to ensure that mass shootings end in America. Thank you very much. Thank you. So we're going to begin right now. So first with Representative Higgins, we're going to start with you previously accepted money from the NRA, but you later said you had an epiphany on the subject. Could you please go into further detail? Yeah, I accepted uh, a contribution from the National Rifle Association uh, and have returned it since to uh, groups, both national and local, dealing with gun violence. I think in the last 10 years, things have changed quite a bit. And I think that what has happened historically in America is that whenever there's an incidence of gun violence, the reaction was to enact laws that would not have prevented the incident from occurring in the first place. And I think that's a natural tendency of human nature. That's why we study the humanities. Um, so my sense was that we had a lot of laws that if they were enforced uh, better would keep our people safer. We could not have anticipated what's happened. I gave you three examples at the beginning of mass shootings uh, perpetrated by one individual, in most cases with one weapon, and that is a weapon of mass destruction. Think about this for a moment. Think about this for a moment. We went to war in Iraq because someone was thought, on a false premise, to have access to weapons of mass destruction. It's the longest war in American history. Some 5,000 U.S. soldiers were killed, and it's cost all of you about $5 trillion based on the false premise of somebody having weapons of mass destruction. And we are allowing people in the streets of America to possess these weapons, these weapons. We have an obligation to do something about it. Thank you. Um, I'd just also like to add, um, uh, Congressman Higgins, as well as Mr. McMurray, we just ask that you uh, keep your responses under about a minute, just so we can get through all of our questions. But thank you very much. Um, so next question is, what is your current opinion, uh, Congressman, on the organization of the NRA itself? I think we live in America. They have a right to express their opinion uh, and to advance that opinion. Uh, that doesn't mean that you don't have a countervailing force. And I don't think this is about fighting. It's certainly not about the Constitution. It's certainly not about one organization. It's certainly not about one individual. It's about a nation of people and a nation of laws. And we have an obligation to protect our people, and we're not doing it. And these mass shootings that have been cited are just the most recent examples of that. Um, you said in response to the Sandy Hook shooting that you don't believe schools should be hardened. Um, to both of you, do you believe that having a school resource officer would make? Do you believe that having a school resource officer would make schools safer? Um, well, first of all, on the, I would like to go back to the NRA thing for a second. The NRA has evolved. When in the '70s or in the '80s, the the NRA was about sporting and uh, outdoor life and gun safety. And since then it has become an organization about sales, about protecting sales, about protecting corporate interests. And I, I would ask anyone to go and watch the recent YouTube videos produced by the NRA. They're terrifying. If they were produced by another group, a group that was not a domestic group, you would think of them as very scary things, criminal things. You need to look at those videos and ask yourself if this makes sense in America today. Um, and I have signed a pledge not to take any NRA money. On your, on your, on the issue of hardening schools, here's the problem. You harden the schools, and then what do you do? You harden the movie theaters, you harden the synagogues, you harden the temples, you harden the churches like this. Do we need to put a bulletproof shield around this church? 
Do we have to harden everything? Do we have to live in a fort as a society? What are we giving up so people can have the rights to have assault weapons? What are we giving up in exchange for that? And that is something people have to look at. Regarding SROs, I don't think SROs are a perfect solution. I recently uh, signed a contract to put two SROs in our schools in desperation in the town of Grand Island. Now, we're hoping they act as mentors and as, as protectors, but here's the solution, here's the reality. They'll have guns that can't match the guns you can buy, that a madman or a criminal can buy. Like an AR-15 that has a muzzle that creates the effect of, an, of a hollow point bullet. They have guns that you can't fight. There's a reason why the, in, down in, in Florida why that SRO or that, that officer did not run to the school. He didn't have a chance. It's like a fire hose against a squirt gun. The situation we are facing is just like Congressman Higgins said, a situation where police officers are outgunned, and if you talk to them frankly, many of them will tell you they're scared to go to houses where people have military-grade machinery in their house. They're scared to go to cars and pull over cars where people have weapons that can put a hole in you the size of a cantaloupe. We have to look at this comprehensively. Thank you. You know, I think, I think we, we expect an awful lot of our teachers to begin with, and we don't compensate them enough for what they do. It's a profession that makes every other profession possible. The idea, I think, is ludicrous to, to arm teachers uh, in a classroom. What we have an obligation to do is keep teachers and students safe. And we can do that by, go by common sense uh, uh, initiatives, uh, like extensive background checks, like you know, if you're on a no-fly list because you pose a danger to the general public, you shouldn't be able to, uh, to be able to purchase a, a firearm. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can be doing uh, that address the fundamental problem without arming teachers in schools. To follow up on that, would you believe that a student resource officer would make African-American or other minority groups uncomfortable? To both again. Sure. I'll go first. I, I, I think um, what Congressman Higgins says is correct. If you have, we want to avoid a situation where teachers are armed or people have guns. That would make me uncomfortable. It would make any student uncomfortable. If you go back in time when I was a high school student, the last thing I want to see is my English teacher I don't like with a gun on his waist. So if you think about that, it doesn't make sense. Teachers we should be focused on teaching. The SRO situation is a little bit different. Those are people who are there for security. They're, they're trained. They, if you look at the SRO triangle, it says mentor, protector. They have the different elements of what an SRO does. But again, even the best trained SRO, even the most well-equipped SRO, they are going to have a hard time stopping a madman with a bump stock and an AR-15. Yeah, I, I would agree. Again, you know, if you look at these mass shootings, they're perpetrated by one individual with one common uh, weapon. It's an assault weapon. And they're able to exact death and destruction in a very, very short period of time. And the technology of killing has advanced more quickly than almost anything in our society. And so I think that a, a common sense approach uh, that has been upheld in fed several federal courts over the last 10 years is something that should be looked at minimally. So I don't think this is about, you know, we shouldn't have to arm anybody in a classroom uh, or a school. There is a certain level of security uh, that, is, that is necessary at a school, a certain uh, number of precautions like having to report to the office, not being let in. Um, without some form of identification and expectation that you're a visitor there. Uh, those are the kinds of things that are important toward keeping uh, the school environment safe. But, you know, we just need to be commonsensical about this, and I think we can achieve an awful lot toward reducing significantly gun violence generally in mass shootings in particular. Thank you. Um, and here's a question for both of you. Um, there's a higher crime rate in urban communities due to lack of jobs, after school programs, and many opportunities for youth. 
Is, are there any plans to put a structure in place to fix these problems? And if so, how can communities become informed and involved? Well, the reality is this, we've had a gun violence issue in our country for a long time. The reason why we're talking about it more now is because it's become more of a suburban issue than it was before, and that's the reality. And we need to get the more involvement from the schools in the cities, from schools across the spectrum of society in America, and we have to have, hear the voice of these communities. Now, to address what you said about after-school programs and those other programs, I can't speak comprehensively at this moment, but obviously there's been a, uh, an imbalance in the attention and the, um, the interest that we show to certain communities over other communities across the history of our country. Yeah. Obviously, resources in any community uh, contributes, uh, particularly if they're used efficiently and effectively, uh, toward lifting people up of every community, to keep people safe, to have respect for one another. I think we have lost the value of, of the simple things uh, that we owe to each other as citizens of this great nation, and that is just a mutual respect and looking after each other and understanding that there are differences. And, and just because we have differences doesn't mean you have to hate somebody that uh, opposes you know, the position that you have. Uh, you, you should be respectful of that because you learn from people that have a differing view than you do as well. So I think this, that mutual respect is, is most important. I think sometimes it's taken for granted too often. To both of you, what are your thoughts on metal detectors in schools, and what about students being forced to use clear or mesh backpacks? I think if you look at uh, these, all these all of these solutions don't really get to the heart of the problem, do they? We've had metal detectors in schools for a long time in a lot of different schools. We've had these mesh, these clear backpacks. That doesn't seem to be the solution. We've tried these things before. We have a fundamental problem in our society where unlike other societies, large number of students are being killed. Large numbers of students are being killed. We have to have the guts, the guts to say, well, how are we going to address this? We have to look at the facts, not the emotion. And the facts tell us, in 1994, when we had a federal assault weapons ban, we can see clearly that there was a decrease in shooters' death and a decrease in, a decrease in gun violence. We know that. We must be driven on all these issues, I believe, through number one, courage, courage to tell people that they're, that, courage to tell groups that are powerful, that can push votes out like the NRA, that they're wrong, and also courage to listen to the evidence and not the emotion. And the evidence, the empirical data is there. We need to examine the empirical data to find solutions that make sense for our society. You know, I think metal detectors and, and other initiatives, you know, potentially are helpful, but the last thing we want to do is give people a false sense of security. And I think what's different today, what's different right here, what's different in the nation today, what's different about the enthusiasm and the spirited uh, uh, participation of young people is that we've reached a tipping point. And there are more fundamental things that we can be doing to ensure the safety of all of our people, regardless of where they live. Okay, um, Congressman Higgins, what solutions are you currently pursuing in Congress to remedy the issue? background checks and a new system of background checks to ensure that we have the best information technology available to us in real time. Um, if, you, if you are on a no-fly list, you know, minimally, you, you shouldn't be able to purchase and possess a gun. Um, and, a, and, assault, and a ban on assault weapons. You know, these are weapons of mass destruction. They're designed to kill people quickly and in large numbers. And as I cited just a few examples to you, uh, the shooter, the shooter in each instance killed dozens of people within a matter of minutes. 
That goes to show you, and, and think about our police for a moment. Uh, there's a homicide detective who's now retired, Charles Fermuska, who wrote a piece in the Buffalo News last week saying that he you know, supports the Second Amendment, but he presided, he led 350 homicides in just the city of Buffalo during his entire career. And he unequivocally endorses a categorical ban of certain weapons that are not used for sporting, that are not used for hunting, that are designed to kill people. That is a pretty good place to start. And as I mentioned at the outset, the United States Supreme Court has upheld in at least four instances over the last 10 years, states' rights to ban these weapons because they do disproportionate harm to individuals in churches and schools and other public places. It's as clear as it can be. Both of you have advocated for assaults, weapons, bans. Uh, Mr. McMurray, it's not on your campaign website, though, we don't believe. But the question I'm hoping to ask is, what is your response to the responsible gun owner who owns an assault weapon, who, set, who uses it for hunting, uses it for self-defense, and does not use it for anything else? What is your response? Well, I think we need to take a step back. Um, I think there's been a straw man argument that's been used over and over again to say that, well, there's been out lies, out and out lies, saying that I'm against the Second Amendment. I am clearly not against the Second Amendment. I believe in the Second Amendment. And I think that people who also support the Second Amendment, to some extent, have been vilified in our society unfairly. I mean, I am the supervisor of a small town where we have two gun clubs. I've been to those gun clubs for numerous occasions. I understand the heritage of the people that go there and the, the ideas they have, and, the, and I respect that. I also know we're not advocating for what they've done in Australia or what they've done in the UK. If you look at it from a global perspective, what we're talking about is banning the most dangerous weapons. I would even say I, I don't mind weapons for self-defense. I'll support weapons for self-defense. I believe you have a right to defend your home, not just to hunt. I'll fight for that right. I'll fight for your right to defend your home and your family with firearms. But I think we're talking about a small section of the guns that do the most damage. Do you know how a bump stock works? It's hard to shoot with a bump stock. A bump stock is a, is a mechanism that allows you to shoot repeatedly. But when it does it, it does it in a spray motion, not in a clear motion. So it allows you to fire into a large group of people. I would say to anyone who says, I need that, and I need a gun that allows me to kill a large number of people, I would tell them, I'm sorry you don't. We have a scope of rights and interests in society. We balance different rights. We balance those against other rights. And I believe you also have a right to go to school without having to be worried about mowed down by a crazy person. question for both of you is 18-year-olds um, can serve in the military and vote. Do you think 18 to 21-year-olds should be barred or not allowed to own firearms? I think that, uh, that if there's a constitutional right to bear arms, it applies to everybody. Now it's up to society to determine what the appropriate age is. I don't think what, that's what we're talking about here. I think what we're talking about are certain weapons that are designed to do the very thing that we're trying to stop. And I think a serious focus on that issue and, and uh, bringing to the United States Congress uh, expert testimony. We, we, we've never had a hearing on this. Since I've been a member of Congress, we've had about, about 60 moments of silence to remember the victims of gun violence. And yet, Congress has minimally taken up the issue. And I'm not, look, I don't know a lot about guns, to be truthful. Um, I've learned a lot. I have a lot more to learn. And I suspect that I'm like most members of Congress. We're general practitioners. We do the best we can, applying the values that we have. 
So we need the homicide chief from Buffalo. We need the Police Chiefs Association of America. We need mental health experts. We need education experts to help Congress form a basis from which to respond to this, not in a knee-jerk way, but in a thoughtful, effective way toward the goal of keeping our people safe. So, so sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So we had a law last year in 2017 that prevented those with serious mental health issues from obtaining firearms. People who couldn't do their own finances, people who were already proven to be a dangerous society. We repealed that law last year. It was a federal law. We took that law away. Now, I talked about the straw man earlier. The straw man is like people like Brian and I want to remove the Second Amendment, which is a lie. It's a lie. We believe in the Second Amendment. The real straw man is this constant excuse of mental health. Oh, it's mental health. It's mental health. Great. What are you doing to fund mental health? What are you doing to guarantee that those who are mentally unfit to own a firearm, who are dangerous to society, don't have access? Because the reality is they're taking away those limitations. They want it easier for those who meant with mental health problems to access firearms. Now, the things we're advocating for, or at least I'm advocating for here today, are reasonable solutions. Does anyone reasonably believe someone who's mentally unfit or mentally unstable should have the right to buy a gun that can kill large numbers of people? I do not. So that's what we're talking about today, and that's what I'm advocating for. How do we depoliticize the effort to ban certain weapons and improve background checks and convince those opponents that we are not out to take away their guns? Well, I, I think you're doing that. You make the clear distinction at the front end that you support Second Amendment rights. You know, gun ownership is a culture in America. And most of the people that I know that are part of that culture are highly responsible and focused primarily on safety. It is a good culture and we should embrace it as part of American society toward the goal of finding solutions. So, you know, I think what we need to do, those who are entrusted with, with the obligation to make laws in this country, be you a member of Congress, a state legislature, or a town board, um, you have an obligation to collect relevant facts to be used as a basis from which to do the responsible thing. Not an emotional knee-jerk reaction, but do things that will really have an impact toward the one goal that we're all striving for here. And that goal is to reduce gun violence generally and mass shootings in particular. And they're not easy. There's a law enforcement component to this. Uh, the shooter in Parkland was said to, you know, posted on social media that he was a future school shooter. Uh, that should have been a red flag that obviously was missed. Uh, there is an issue that needs to be addressed as well, but what I'm saying is Congress has not done the right thing in terms of getting the kind of expert testimony that we need to form a basis from which to take responsible action. Congressman Higgins. Uh, one person asks, what are you doing in Congress to remedy? And they ask, uh, they would appreciate a direct answer, not a political one. I'm sorry? What are you doing specifically to remedy the problem in Congress? Yeah, I support in legislation a ban on assault weapons because I, I support a, a ban on assault weapons for the very reasons that I stated previously, and that is they are designed to do one thing, kill people. We have a member of Congress who's on the other side. I'm a Democrat. He's a Republican. He's an Iraqi war vet. He lost both of his legs and a finger in uh, Iraq. Uh, he is a supporter of a ban on assault weapons because the military-style weapon that he had in the, the domestic 
equivalent to that, he said nobody should have it. And uh, I think that is a strong statement. I support comprehensive background checks. I support funding for Medicaid uh, that provides uh, significant mental health funding, uh, which is an important part of this. I support our law enforcement community. Uh, we put them in a difficult situation every single day, and, and we have an obligation to support them, but also to listen to them, because they too are stating very clearly that they're being outgunned on the streets by making permissible uh, possession and use uh, of assault weapons. Uh, my record is very clear, um, and it's stated, I assure you, in a non-political way, in a very direct, clear way. If I may also add, you asked about what we can do to change minds and to get more discussion on this. Events like today, and the fact that we all came out for this from across the spectrum is very helpful, and we can have this open, rational, and logical debate instead of yelling and screaming. My bad, I'm sorry about that. We need to have more discussions. In America, we believe in the marketplace of ideas, where the best ideas come to the surface through a discussion and an open dialogue. And we, we, when we shy away from that open dialogue, or we fear the public discussion, good ideas get buried, and things become polarized. The fact that a sitting congressman is next to me, who stood up here and sat here with me, took these questions, some of which are not easy, says a lot about Congressman Higgins, for sure. So what I, what I want to see happen, and what I pledge to do, is I'm going to have more of these type of discussions with the public, I'm going to go meet people who do not agree with me. I'll let them, I'll let them say what they want to me because I'll stand up for what I believe in. I'm going to reach out to the groups that refuse to be here. I'm going to reach out to those who didn't want to be here because we have to continue to have that open discussion, that peaceful dialogue. And if I'm elected as congressman, I'll tell you right now, I'll pledge here today, I will fight with, with Mr. Higgins, and I hope he'll support me on it, and it sounds like he will, a comprehensive background check law a law that bans assault weapons, and also increased funding for mental health study and for, t and for care for the mental health. And those are the things that I pledge to do. Okay, to both of you, um, do you support the repeal of the Dickey Amendment, which prevents the CDC from researching gun violence? I oppose it because gun violence is a societal problem and the Centers for Disease Control uh, has an obligation, again, to collect relevant fact to be used as a basis from which to take action. It's not a isolated study, it, it has an objective and that is to get good information from what's happened out there, what's occurred out there toward the goal of preventing it from happening in the future. It's so bizarre to me that so many of these things, like the Dickey Amendment, that allowed us to understand or help understand the connection between gun violence and mental health, and these laws that prevented those with mental health problems from getting access to firearms, were blocked by the very people who have told us over the last month that we need to focus not on guns but mental health. Let's focus on mental health. Of course, I'm with Congressman Higgins on this issue. We need to understand the links and where mental health inflicts or correlates with gun violence. A follow-up to a previous question. How do we identify and then address other issues involved, such as mental health issues, domestic violence issues, bullying, etc., which correlates perfectly with what you just said? Yeah, I think we've addressed it. I mean, there, you know, a, a comprehensive approach to this is important, but to, to deal with the problem, you first have to acknowledge that there is one. To, to deal with the problem, you first have to acknowledge that there is one. And if you're serious about that problem, you are then wanting to have the best information that's available to you to, 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 to form a basis from which to act responsibly toward eradicating that problem, or at least, at the very least, reducing it. Uh, 
Um, and there's a mental health component, there's a law enforcement component, uh, there's a weapons component, there's a constitutional component, and all of those components should be respected uh, as we uh, move forward toward trying to resolve this, this issue. Beyond gun violence, we need to take mental health seriously in our country. There's a stigma and a, 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 a lack of funding that relates to that that we need to stop. And we need to, we need to take mental health as seriously as any other type of health issue that we face in America. With regard to um, this young man in Florida, did, if you might have heard the tape, the 911 tape that he made, what you hear on there is a very disturbed, very desperate individual. And the fact that folks like that, people that turn into monsters, are not getting the help they need or getting put in places that they can be kept from the general public from hurting us is something we should be all concerned about. So mental health has to play a huge part in this, and I'll say it again. Comprehensive background checks, it just makes sense. Just like getting a car, just getting your license, going to the DMV, you need to get checked to see who is getting these guns. And on top of that, an assault weapon ban, which we know from the 1994 federal ban worked. It prevented gun violence. And then also real, a real look, a serious look at mental health in America. Nicholas Cruz was suspended multiple times from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, and yet the signs were still missed. Would you support a regulation which requires students who are suspended to be screened for mental health disorders? To both again. Well, look, I, th I think that there was ample evidence to indicate that uh, the shooter in that instance, as in previous uh, incidences, uh, had some mental health issue. So obviously, any time that you can uh, early intervene, you avoid potential tragedy from occurring. It's like anything else, early intervention, early diagnosis, so that somebody can get professional help, be it physical or mental, uh, is essential toward keeping everybody safe, including the individual. Uh, may I ask, though, it's a yes or no type of question, would you say yes to supporting this regulation? Yes. Y yes for me, too, but to, to something Congressman Higgins said earlier, we have to get, I think there's also a more, a broader issue for our society that we need to address. If you look at so many of these situations, we're dealing with people who have been left behind from our society, who are outcasts, who are vilified, who, have, who are damaged in serious ways. And I think, broadly speaking, and this is not something that's settled easily by legislation, we need to figure out to make a, a society that is more caring and more loving and leaves fewer people behind and, le and cares more and feels more empathy for those who are weak and those who are struggling and that we can find ways to help people so they don't become monsters. Okay, the next question to both of you. Um, there's some statistics here. Costs in New York State to house an inmate are 168,000, whereas costs in New York State to educate a person is 28,000. Are there any plans in the works to increase education and mentoring initiatives? Yeah, there, there are a number of programs uh, with different levels of, of success, but you know, I don't know that programs resolve issues. I think relationships do. And I think it speaks to our relationship with each other as citizens of America. You know, we all want the same thing. Uh, we want, all want our, our unrestrained potential for happiness. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, government can't solve all of those problems. I think just a, a recognition that we are all citizens of the same country, in the same community, the same neighborhood, the same school, and that we have an obligation to look after each other, I think is, is very important. On to a different subject. What is your view on the role that police play in gun violence? Do you believe that they help it or worsen it? 
I think we expect an awful lot out of police, to be truthful. Uh, I think that, um, you know, training is obviously very important, uh, but some of the circumstances that we, that our police are put into are impossible situations. It's like, <clears throat> it's like they deal with a lot of the problems that society just can't deal with or won't deal with. Um, I think, you know, making sure that there is a connection between police, uh, all of whom, you know, with, with rare exceptions, are honorable people that want to do the right thing, uh, connecting with communities so that there is an understanding as to the unique aspects of those communities toward the goal of keeping people safe is, I think, a goal that everybody shares. So. Um, I just, you know, I think that, uh, that we expect an awful lot out of, out of our, our police. We need to support them and we need to listen to them as it relates to gun violence. And when you have, as I mentioned, a homicide chief who, you know, has so much experience with, with, with death uh, at the hands of, of, of uh, assault weapons, uh, that individual needs to be listened to. So I believe in supporting the police. I think what we have now is a situation where we're in an arms race, where the police have to, have to constantly be buying bigger and better weapons to match what's on the street. That's matched within regular homes. I have a friend, a very close friend, who I visited recently, and he showed me his, uh, his, his toys, as he put it. And I, he had guns and crossbows and knives and I said, well, what do you have all this for? And he said, well, just in case something goes down. I said, what is going to go down in our neighborhood? And the reality is, I think we're having people, and good people, that are amassing these things. And I think that sometimes the police don't know who the good people and the bad people are. So they're left in a position to constantly be in fear and to upgrade their weaponry and to buy bigger weapons, long guns, more powerful guns, to compete. Now, I have a friend who's in the FBI, and I talked to him about this issue recently, and he told me, the last thing we want is to have to go into a home where we know we're gonna be in a firefight we can't compete with. So I think what Congressman Higgins said is right. We have to listen to the police and support the police, because they're telling us we're in a situation where we can't keep up in this endless arms race in America. There is currently, though, a divide between the police and oftentimes minority communities. How do we begin a dialogue to begin erasing that gap? Yeah, I, I, again, I think you know, a greater connection between uh, those that take an oath to protect people in the community that is included in that, that area of jurisdiction. Uh, I think we, we need to be in a continuous state of improvement. Uh, we can always do better. There are always unfortunate circumstances as it relates to the particulars of an incident. Uh, and those things have to be vetted out. And if there is responsibility, on the part of law enforcement for not following policy and procedure, for not using common sense toward avoiding uh, a, a situation that results in death or injury, then you know certainly you know those actions have to be taken. But I think it's a greater understanding between the individuals who are trying to protect a community and the community that wants to be protected. I think the goals are the same. Uh, the question is, how do you deal with those outlier situations that uh, unfortunately end up in tragedy? So I think it's a, there's no, there's no clear, absolute solution to that. It's, it's again, I think that the, the level of respect that we have for each other individually and, and, and collectively. If you believe in, in human dignity and human rights, and you believe that people should be treated with respect, you cannot look at the situations that have happened, especially the ones that have been videotaped over the last few years, and the interactions where you've had unarmed civilians killed, and not look at it and come away with it objectively thinking that this is a tragedy, 
and is something that our country should be embarrassed of and our country must address. And the only way to address that is through accountability. And we, just like any other person in any other walk of life, if you act in a way that is beyond the reasonable standard for someone in your position, and you do something that hurts someone or causes harm or leads to the death of somebody, you need to be held accountable. And for some reason, we look at these videotapes that are very, very clearly, you can see the inappropriate use of violence, the inappropriate use of weapons, where we have unarmed civilians being killed, and we have a polarized view of what happened. Everybody should look at those incidences and say, how can we improve? How can we hold those accountable accountable? And we cannot continue to tolerate the deaths of unarmed citizens in the United States of America. And we also need to address, it was brought up earlier in one of the questions, and I, and I believe strongly in this as well, in a country that's called, that we call ourselves proudly, the home of the free, land of the brave, all those things. Yet we have the largest prison population in the entire world. That's something that also needs to be addressed. So these issues that are coming up in these questions, these broad issues, I believe in fighting these, fighting for correct answers and responses to, this, to, responses to these issues because the status quo simply isn't good enough. It's, it's very clear to see both of your views on the subject, but I personally am curious, what are you specifically doing? I, you, it doesn't have to be a full comprehensive plan, which will end violence by any means, but what can we do to reduce this gap again? What specifically can we do? Well, I would tell you that every social movement that has resulted in laws that fundamentally change the direction of this country, be it the civil rights movement, be it the labor movement, be it the women's movement, be it the gay rights movement, be it the environmental movement, nothing ever came from Washington on down to the communities. They came from communities, in cities, in places like Buffalo, that organized well, that were clear about their intent and had a factual basis from which they were calling on their elected leaders to make a change. Um, that's the beauty of this country, that citizens do have a voice. You have the right to organize. And what I would just simply say is don't go away because what, what happens is what happens is they want to wear you out. When somebody says, you know, within 24 hours of a mass shooting that now is not the time to talk about it, yes, it is. Yes, it is. What they're really saying is eventually they'll go away. They'll tire. They will be distracted by other issues. They're young kids. They don't have discipline. They don't have focus. You should defy them and continue this effort, but toward the goal of clarifying what it is you want your elected leaders to respond to. Well, you asked what I'm doing specifically. I'm running for Congress. And I'm... <laughs> and I would be proud to serve with uh, Congressman Higgins, who I believe has done great things for our community. The reality is, it's not an easy fight. The person I'm running against doesn't feel he has to be here today. The person I'm running against feels the status quo is good enough. He thinks there doesn't have to be an answer because he can wait until the issue dies down again. He thinks this is a tug of war and if he holds on long enough, you're gonna fall into the mud. The reality is we need to keep pulling. We can have all the demonstrations we want, we can have all the town hall meetings we want, but they think you're not gonna vote because they're gonna outspend you they're going to outweigh you, and they're going to outmuscle you. They're going to push their people to the polls. They're going to rely on gerrymandered districts. They're going to rely on all the powers that are behind them and that they don't have to listen to you. But let's make sure they do listen to you. Because I'll tell you what, if you prove, and I'm going to be self-serving a little bit, but I'm going to prove only because I believe in this issue and the issues we talked about today, and I'll fight for you. If we vote in my election in November, you'll be sending a message to the NRA's biggest spokesman, the NRA's biggest spokesman, that what he is doing
doesn't cut it anymore. So I would ask you, don't go away, stay involved, fight, get your friends to vote, and vote, and endure, and keep pulling until we pull the other side into the mud. Okay, I'm Morgan, so the question is, is educating the students in schools about gun violence ever a possibility in New York State or even in Buffalo, New York? Well, the NRA used to be about educating schools, educating kids about safety. You would hope that they would take that more seriously so we can teach kids about what it means to be safety. I'll tell you what, most of the gun owners I know, they believe in safety. They take it very seriously. My friends who hunt, my friends who, who have guns, they teach their kids what it means to, to be around guns and how to be safe around guns and how to protect themselves and their family. But we would think that organizations that are fighting so hard to keep assault rifles in the hands of criminals, that they'd be more interested in keeping things safe. So I would be supportive of that. As much, uh, as much education uh, that can be accessed to people at the youngest ages uh, begins to, I think, build in a, a basis for responsible citizenship. And uh, what you demand ultimately be, whether you're a high school student, a high school student or, or, or an adult that's uh, finished their education, uh, I think is uh, beneficial uh, to uh, finding solutions to these societal problems. Okay, and the next question is, Many cases of gun violence are committed using firearms that are stolen or illegally obtained. Is there any legislation being considered in Congress to require and check whether guns are securely locked up? Well, let me say that's you know one thing that, that the National Rifle Association was founded on. It's gun safety, and uh, it's deserving of acknowledgement. Uh, I think, it, you know, as a society, we just, you know, have to do a better job about uh, uh, focusing on the importance. That's why the Centers for Disease Control, it's important that they do studies so that we find out what perhaps people aren't doing, what they ought to be doing uh, to keep their arms, you know, locked up and safe and kept from those who shouldn't have them. You know, the shooter, in, uh, in Newtown, Connecticut, at the Sandy Hook Elementary School. Uh, he took his mom's gun, and then he killed her. And then he killed 20 kids. Those kids had three and four wounds in their bodies. Uh, one shooter, he should not have had that gun. Um, so there was a, a problem there. I don't know where the breakdown was, but there was a breakdown. And from that incident, we can learn something about preventing the next one. We're actually finishing up right now. We're finishing up right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, um, yes, uh, we do have to bring things to a close now. Um, there is one last question that I'm actually going to answer. Um, are the students registering to vote, and are there programs for getting students to the polls? Um, we've We've all been working on helping register our peers, um, our classmates, um, and other students in the area to vote. Um, we also have a website. It's called studentsforaction.org. Um, <laughs> and it's a resource for any student to um, become more politically involved. There's information on how to reach your representatives, as well as how to register to vote um, and organize um, events such as this, so um, we just wanted to get that out there just so people who maybe want to become, students who maybe want to become more involved but don't know how, um, we felt the same way and when we couldn't find a resource we decided to make our own and so please feel free to uh, go ahead and take a look at that. Um, okay. <laughs> Is there anything else, Andy? I would like to thank both Mr. McMurray and Representative Higgins for being here, and I would like to thank everyone for being part of this. And I wish you a good weekend, and I hope 
this starts something. I think it will. I, I think it will. Thank you. My name is Andy Kowalczyk. I'm from Clarence High School, and I'm 17 years old. I'm Georgia Vanderwater. Um, I'm from East Aurora High School, and I'm also 17. I'm Robert. I'm Robert Snexer. Um, I'm from Cumber East High School, and I'm 14 and a freshman. <laughs> Morgan Holloway, I'm from Narden Academy, and I'm 16, and I'm from Buffalo. And there are also quite a few students dispersed in the crowd who were part of organizing this event and who did an amazing job getting this all together. And again, we're called Students for Action. All right, thank you, everyone, and have a good day. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.